0: A week ago today was our year anniversary for Deanna and I being installed as the lead pastors here at Destiny. And yeah, thank you. What, a, what an awesome ride it's been. And I, and I guess we're at the point now where we're comfortable enough that we get to have the sex talk this morning. <laughs> if, you, if you haven't been here, I just want to preface this morning by letting you know we've been going through the book of Proverbs And uh, I I tried to give you fair warning uh, last week that this is where we're going. And so this morning, the message is proverbial sex. We're going to talk about sex in the context of Proverbs and what it says. And, um, you know, Proverbs is like that friend that will tell you the truth. And I was sitting here this morning, first service, and my wife, Pastor Deanna, um, gave her a kiss. And she said to me, what did you have for breakfast? <laughs> she said, "She did this kind of thing. Your breast stinks. And we, Proverbs is like that friend. They'll tell you the truth in love. Go get a breath mint. And so that's what we're doing this morning. Proverbs is going to speak some truth to us this morning. Are you ready for it? Woo! Amen. I, I wanted to, to give you that preface in case you've got um, younger ones. And just so you're aware, I don't plan to, to go anywhere that the book of Proverbs Um, Doesn't go, but uh, I want you as parents to be aware. Okay, so when I was still an infant, mom and dad were were working on building a home for us in our hometown of Falkton, South Dakota. Anybody, Falkton, everybody been there before? So uh, we were we were living in a trailer house at the time, and uh, dad came home from staining wood in the new house that uh, he was building, and he had a headache from breathing in all those fumes. And uh, so he changed out of his clothes, he got on his robe, and he laid down for a while. And when he got up, he decided that he needed to wash off all the speckles of stain that were on his arm. So he grabbed some gasoline, and he put it in a container in the sink, and he started using it to wash off. I mean, that used to be a thing, right? You would do that. And so as he was finishing up, the fumes from the gasoline reached the pilot light from the oven range, which was right next to it and it flashed into a fire. Dad tried to get it out with the towel, but the towel just got kind of doused in the gasoline, which made it worse. It lighted up his robe, uh, the arm of his robe on fire, and the fire went straight up into the cupboards, which were, which were right above, and started to spread. So Dad immediately, he called the fire department, and I'm told that Mom and I, infant I, were in the living room, which was a blessing, and it was a miracle, because we were right next to the exit door. Um, she grabbed me, and, and she got out right away. Now, now, Dad, this is kind of funny to me, he grabbed the TV on his way out the door. But, you know, he says he said, first service, it was near the doorway. So that explains, you know. There, <laughs> there was a nearby neighbor who worked for the fire department that was able to shut off the gas to the tra- trailer right away. And so the fire department was there within minutes. Falkton isn't a big town, so the house... It uh, didn't burn down, but the fire melted everything four foot uh, off the floor and up, and, which made it a total loss uh, with the smoke and the water damage. And we went out and we lived with, uh, at my godparents' house for just a few nights before uh, we moved into our new home, which would, had almost been completed. You know, we we're just kind of finishing, putting up the trim, that kind of stuff. Dad says we were still putting up the trim and painting and putting up the curtains after we moved in. And I'm sure I was really helpful as my infant self in that whole process. But he said that they were able to get a few uh, grand back from insurance, which helped them replace our smoke-damaged clothes, which were a loss, and also get some cheap furniture for the house. I still remember the flowery, multicolored couch set and the bright orange-red recliners here. Now, why mention that? For this reason. Fire is a gift. Fire is a powerful force, but it's a gift for us. And that's when it's put in the proper boundaries. You cage it in with brick and mortar and, and steel. It can bring warmth and life into a home. Fire can keep you alive in a survival situation and in that kind of a scenario in the wilderness. But you take it outside of those boundaries of safety, though, and it can be a dangerous thing. Dad would tell you through experience to keep gasoline fumes away from pilot lights, for instance. Fire can hurt you. Fire can hurt the people that you love. It can burn your house down. It's a volatile thing to have something as powerful as fire in our care. Now, we've been in the book of Proverbs, and it's written primarily, we've learned, for young people. It says later that anyone can gain wisdom, but it's, this book is primarily written for the young person that's right in the stage of owning their life. It's I'm out of my parents' house, I'm, I'm moving into being the owner of my own decisions. It's that stage. It's written to the, the young people and during the key moment that they're being launched out on their own. So the book warns us several times and it's through a father speaking to a son. It warns us of one of the most powerful forces that you're going to encounter and that is the longing for sexual fulfillment and that desire is not wrong yet there is a way to handle that that can promote life or there's a way to handle your sexuality that can damage or destroy your life and so we need wisdom And wisdom we've talked about is an understanding of how the world works and then the skill to work successfully within it. So in this book, the dad is talking to all different parts of the son's life and he comes into this section and he says, young man, you're standing at a crossroads. And all through the book, he's talking to this young man and he says, there's two primary voices calling to you. The voice of wisdom that says, humble yourself, realize that you don't know everything, son, and humble yourself to wise voices. Listen to God. Learn from him, walk according to his path, and you'll flourish. But there's also a voice of folly that's saying, you do you. You do what works for you. Don't think about other people. Don't think about God. And don't think about consequences. Just do whatever feels good. And those two paths are out there, and each path has voices championing those messages. Uh, On the path of wisdom, it's the parents, and it's lady wisdom, wisdom personified as a woman. And on the path of folly, there's two voices as well. There's the bros, the gang. And they're telling him, just chase after money, sex, and power. You do you. Don't worry about other people. Don't worry about other things. And then there's Lady Folly, who's presented as a seductress, who's going to be in our scenes today. She's going to call to him in the first seven chapters of the book of Proverbs. And in four of those chapters, the dad warns his son about Lady Folly and the seductress. And why does he do it four times out of seven chapters? It seems like a lot because our desire for sexual fulfillment is a real and powerful force. He's looking at this young man and he's saying, you need wisdom in this area because this is real and this can hurt you. And so let me clarify as, as we're just kind of uh, jumping into this. He's going to warn his son about the seductress. And let me just say this on the outset. He's not saying, women are trouble. He's not saying that. Our women are going to lead you astray. You'll see later in the text, as we get further along, that the woman is now on every street corner. Uh, So he's not talking about a particular woman or even women in, in general. He's talking about a mentality, kind of like wisdom was personified as a woman. There's a seductive mindset, a way of thinking about sensuality that's destructive. And I want to clarify that as he's warning against this woman. It's not so much about women. It's a a mentality that the son's going to be tempted to embrace. And as he warns them about that, he's going to give them some guidance. He's going to show them the problem. He's going to show us the sales pitch of sensuality. And he's going to reveal the path where it leads and then the proper response. And so that's where we're going today. The problem, the sales pitch, the passion, or the path and the proper response. If you want to follow along, there's notes on the back of your bulletin. You can fill fill in the notes as we go. Now, let me say this as well. When you open up on a subject like sex, I want you to know that there's no way I can cover every aspect of the subject today. I've been doing this for a couple decades as a youth pastor. um, And, you know, I, I have some experience with this talk, but. This is exclusively from the book of Proverbs, and so some of you are going to go, man, you left out a lot of questions on the table, and I'll say exactly that's one of the reasons that we get together every single week, and we meet here, and so you can pick up some truth on some different uh, topics, and over the course of years, we're going to do this a whole lot, and when you're here, it's awesome. <laughs> so anyway, if we don't hit your subject today, I apologize, but we'll get into what the text Um, that we've been reading as Proverbs is talking about, and we'll just um, pray that Holy Spirit will speak exactly what we need to hear today. Amen? Amen. Okay, and so this first part, though, it presents the problem of the sensual mindset. Let's stand as we read God's Word together this morning, this opening scripture. The problem that you'll see in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, you'll see it most clearly here. He's encouraging the son to embrace the words of wisdom. And he says, if you do it in verse 16, let me read it to you. You can follow along on the screen behind me. You'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Father God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray. That you'd let it be a light mood in the place this morning. And God, that you would let your truth reign supreme. We want to hear from you. We want to uh, hear a, a, a word that from you that is directly to us this morning. So speak to us. Our ears are, and spiritual eyes are ready to see and hear what you have for us this morning. We believe it. We receive it. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Go ahead and have a seat. And so the problem he lays out when he says you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman... Or the adulteress. And so it's literally the words there in the original language, the strange woman, or the outsider, or the foreigner. And so he, he doesn't mean foreigner like ethnically. This isn't, this isn't racist here. People in Israel married people from different cultures. Ruth was a Moabite. Uh, um, Moses married a Midianite woman. You know, the, the boundary wasn't ethnically here. It's talking about there's an allegiance to community, and this woman is literally outside of the boundaries. She's out of bounds. She is outside of the boundary. And so when we talk about community and we enter into a community together, there is things that we say we're going to do for, for each other to be a part of community. I agree to drive at a reasonably within the speed limit as part of my commitment to the community, right? And if I continue to violate that, my license is going to be taken away. And then I have to ride a little scooter everywhere when I go to work. And, and these are the commitments that we make to each other in community to follow certain boundaries. And he calls this woman out of bounds. He says to his son, she's making some decisions that aren't gonna be good for you to enter into, son. She's out of bounds for you. That's what he's trying to say by calling her these particular words. And then he shows you why she's out of bounds. The problem is in verse 17, she forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. So the problem is, sexuality outside the boundaries of covenant relationship. That's where the problem is the Bible as the Bible presents it. Now to be clear about that, we've got to show you the ideal standard that she's deviated from in the language here, and that's important. So as it's talking about the context in which sex is meant to be enjoyed, it says the covenant before God and the companion of her youth. So a covenant is a solemn agreement, and it's a social agreement that you make in front of people. I promise and I swear to do a certain thing for you for better or for worse, for richer, for poor. I covenant to be there for you, to put your well-being over my needs. And he says it's a covenant made not just to another person, but it's before God. And so it's a spiritual commitment and it's a social commitment. I'm looking at somebody uh, and and say spiritually before God, I promise to love all of you with all of me and to care for you. And socially before others, I promise to draw you near and put your needs above my own. That's the picture. That's the biblical idea that's presented as a covenant. Now to go a bit further, it's a binding together. Some of you will remember in the book of Genesis, right from the start, scripture gives us the picture of the The two becoming one. It's a spiritual thing that happens that's supposed to be in the the context of a covenant relationship. So it's so different than a consumer mentality. A consumer mentality, which is very popular in our culture, says I as a consumer have a relationship with a vendor. And I might get along with a particular vendor, but the basis of our relationship is your product meets my needs. That's the picture there. And paramount in this relationship is me, and it's my needs. So if your product does not meet my needs, I'm out, off to another vendor. And so our relationships are a bit fragile because what's paramount in it is me, my needs. And when my needs are met, I stay. When they're not met or I can get an upgrade, I'm out. Do you see the difference there? That's a consumer mentality. A covenant mentality says, I am yours for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, and I'm not going anywhere. Now, if only one person swears to that, you've got a recipe for exploitation. But when both swear to that, it's holy, it's amazing. It's, it's saying, I'm giving you all of me and I want all of you. And the D word is not in our vocabulary, the divorce word, I'm not giving up. And, and what's beautiful about that is that he says, the idea is to make that kind of covenant with the companion of our youth. And I love that he uses the word companion. It's the Hebrew word aloof. That literally means confidant. It means best friend. That, that back then, maybe marriage was because of political expe- expectancies or something like that. But within scriptures, it's no, you marry the person that's your best friend. So the, there, that, that was the difference that you know, in in the culture. And yet the, the Bible is extolling us to find someone that you want to share your heart with. And so the picture that I'm getting at is someone saying, I want to commit to you spiritually. I want to commit to you socially. I want to commit to you emotionally. I care about your thoughts. I care about your heart. I care about all of you. And then sex becomes the ultimate consummation of that, that I've bound myself to you socially through this public commitment. I bound myself spiritually, I bound myself to you emotionally, and then I bind myself to you sexually. So it's a fully integrated life, is the picture that he's given us there. It's it's a life of integrity that I'm giving you all of me, and you're giving all all of you in return, and it's really, if you think about it in a certain way, it's like a sacrament. A sacrament And the church world is a physical symbol that shows an inward response, like I'm going to get physically baptized in water like we're going to do here in a few weeks to show my association with God. It's a physical symbol to show an inward change. The sexual act within a covenant relationship of marriage is literally, I have given my whole life to you. And now as a symbol of that, I give even my whole body to you. That all of me comes towards all of you in this context of safety. Full, radical donation for the delight of us both. And the consumer mentality that says, I will take from you what's good for my needs, and I don't want the parts that don't benefit me. And if at any point in that transaction is not good, I'm out. Do you see that? And the great problem in this first text is that she takes the sacrament and she makes it a supply. She cheapens it. She takes something beautiful and she cheapens it. That's the issue with the scriptures here. Now, let me clarify this. I know that somebody in here is like, is he promoting sex only within marriage? Does he know what years this is? And look, you know, I've, I've been, like I said, I've been, I've been speaking to the next generation about this for a long time who's grown up in a sexually charged culture. So I know, um, you know, I understand some people are going to say this sounds like repressive christianity you know are you holding us back you know tying our sexuality down but let me just say before we get any further before we move on the sexual ethic of the bible is not a repressive one i don't know if you caught it at the end of the text but he tells the man to enjoy the breast of his wife and be ravished by her love so let me just point out that that's not just take, you know, talking about procreation for the benefit of the species. The Bible presents a view of sex that would make a lot of us in this room blush. The Bible is not this puritanical book. It's just not. I mean, think about the first chapter. What's happening? There's three people on the scene. There's God, a naked man, and a naked woman. And that's the first scene. That's from the jump. And so it gets crazier from there. By the Song of Solomon, it's like, I'm going to climb my tree and I'm going to grab its fruit. So, you know, it's like, whoa, and you know, it gets real crazy to teach that one, so maybe we'll get there when I'm emotionally ready, but I don't know if we're there yet, Um, but the Bible does not present a repressive sexuality. It presents a sexuality that's fun, and it's a benefit to us, and I quote, be ravished by her love, be intoxicated by her love. I can pound my fist on the table for that one, right? I love that mentality because I believe the Bible is the literal word of God. And I want to take his word very seriously. And I want to enjoy my covenant relationship. And I'm going to say amen and hallelujah to myself personally right now. Yes. So here's the crazy thing that's beautiful about all this. It's an integrated life. So my best friend and my sexual life partner are the same people. That's great. And that's a good idea. And here's what's crazy is even in the world that we live in that has a very different idea kind of loudly being thrown at us people want that. We really want that. It's interesting Donna Friedas who's a research professor at Notre, Notre Dame she did a 10-year nationwide research project on sexuality on college campuses. And as she was reporting the results, she said that practically 100% of the young people that she interviewed said the people on my campus are too casual about sex. They said they're casual about sex. Everyone's casual about sex. It's a very casual thing to do. But then one third of them responded and said my peers are too casual about sex. Do you hear that? That 100% say it's a very casual thing to have sex with this person, but fully one-third says, I think it's too casual. I think we're being too cavalier with something that's really powerful. And so she, she interviewed young people, 10-year study, nationwide about our hooking up culture. And She says, let's, let's you know, a, a culture that's saying, let's have a sexual encounter devoid or separate from an emotional or social encounter. She said that 41% indicated that it made them profoundly unhappy disrespected, sad, or even feeling abused. So think about that. 41% of the people said about hooking up, they participated actively, but said at the end of it, I walked away feeling unhappy or disrespected. The highest praise it garnered, by the way, 10 years of study, 59%, the highest praise. The word they used was the word fine. Fine. She said, it was amazing in my study. Nobody said that this is awesome. Nobody said that it's amazing. Nobody said, I love it. She said the highest praise she got back from this type of sexual encounter was it was fine. And she said, but when I started to interview the young people about what they wanted, she said it was fascinating. What I heard over and over again is what people wanted was to talk, was to visit. And she was like, it was the craziest thing. Young people in a sexually liberated culture, what do they want? She said, what they want is they want to go have a picnic. They they want to share their thoughts and have someone listen to my thoughts and care about what I think and hear about what I feel. And this was women and men, by the way. I want a deep communion. Yes, I want a communion physically, but also emotionally and mentally. I want someone who wants all of me. And we're physically built that way. I mean, the, the way the body is wired, you've, maybe you've heard this before, it's wired in a way that sex releases dopamine, which is a happy chemical that says, whatever you just did, do it again. But it also releases oxytocin, the hormone that promotes bonding at a social and emotional level. It's the same hormone released when a mom nurses a baby. And it's meant to promote bonding. That, the way that we're physically wired is that the physical act of sex is meant to promote and reinforce the emotional connection that we make when we're in Recovenant. That we're wired for an integrated life. And the tragedy of this mentality that this dad is warning his son about is this, don't separate those two. Don't separate those two. The safest place for your sexuality is in the place of commitment, of you know that person loves you, you know they're not going to leave you, you don't have to worry about, you know, is they're staying here contingent upon my performance, will they get bored of me and need an upgrade? No, they love me, they're with me. Sex isn't the tool that keeps the relationship going. It's the privilege I enjoy because we swore to love each other until death do us part. So if we hear that, and we say, well, all of us want that, then why is there such a robust way of doing sexuality in our culture in other ways? It's because sex has a really strong sales pitch. And it's interesting, the dad talks about this a lot in the text in verse six of chapter seven. It's interesting, he gives a sales pitch of the sensual mentality that's being sold to all of us. And the dad presents it to his son in sort of a parable. He starts telling this story. In chapter 7, verse 6, he says that at the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a man lacking sense. We remember talking about the symbol if you've been around since uh, week one of this series. And he said, I saw a bunch of dudes that were kicking around the street and one of them looks particularly gullible. That's how he starts the story. In verse eight, he says, "'Passing along the street near her corner, "'taking the road to her house in the twilight "'in the evening at the time of night and darkness.'" So he says, I have a boy here who's innocent, naive, and gullible, a young person who's naive, and they're wandering into a dangerous place. They're wandering into a place where they may not know all the rules. And so then there's this meetup, and it says, "'Behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner, she lies in wait. That's a picture of sensuality coming at you from every angle, which it does, am I right? Still does today. Coming at you from every angle. When you're not even looking for it, pornography, It's pervasive in our culture and it's becoming more and more common for our young people to have access to it at a very young age. And our prayer is that they realize this is not something that I want in my life, right? But once you try to push against that current, you realize how strong the current is. I mean, sex is used to sell everything. I remember watching an Uncle Ben's rice commercial. And they were using sex to promote their product. I'm like, Uncle Ben, no! (laughs) The scripture says she's at every street corner. She lies in wait. You know, you're never going to see Uncle Ben the same. I don't. It's been hard for me. <laughs> right? But verse 13, it says she seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, you know, you don't even have to go looking for it anymore. She's coming for you, son. The central impulse is strong within you and you're not going to have to even look. It's going to come for you. And then she has this speech, and we'll summarize it here, but basically there's three pieces. The seductress starts giving this speech. One is the entitlement piece on your notes, and she says in verse 14, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. So what's going on there? What she's saying is back then, you would offer a sacrifice. That's the sacrifice she's talking about. You would offer a sacrifice of meat to the gods. And then you would eat the meat right away because you didn't have a fridge to keep it. So you had to eat it there. And so she's kind of giving him an excuse. She's like, I I got this food in my house. It's ready. Why don't you just come on upstairs? Why don't you just come in? I was looking for you. You are the one that I'm looking for. And you see the repeated repetition of you, 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 you. It's just you. And then there's a bit of entitlement there. You've had a long day. It's a crazy world. Get in here. Come over, stay a little longer. Baby, it's cold outside. Right? It's that kind of mentality. You see it. And then she begins to entice. There's entitlement. You deserve a break today. And she says, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. So it's comfortable. It's exotic. She covered her couch. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. So it's not just sight, but it's the smells. All three of those perfumes, you can find them in the Song of Solomon, all connected with sex. So there's there's a sophistication to it. It'll be satisfying. It says, come, let us take our fill of love till the morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. This will be life-enhancing for you. It'll be good. And then the third thing, she provides the escape plan. She says, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. So she says, he's far away. He took a lot of money, which means he's got a lot of business to do. He's going to be gone for at least two weeks. And so let's take our fill of love. We can have this connection without any consequences, kind of what she's selling. You won't take any damage by saying yes to me, is what she's saying. And then it says, with much seductive speech, she persuaded him with her smooth talk, she compels him. And then here's where the dad kind of changes the metaphor, he changes the story. And he says that all at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. The ox, picture it with me, is a big, powerful animal, right? If I don't want to go, if the ox doesn't want to go, it's not going to go. But if you trick it with some meat or whatever it is, I guess it's grass, (laughs) trick it with some grass, you trick his mind, this is going to be good. If you're convinced that this is good and then you're led, you don't even realize that you're being led to the slaughter. The scripture continues and says, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. He said, you're like a powerful deer, son, like a stag running through the forest, but once you're caught, if you get caught up in this, sun, you're gonna take damage. Choices are linked with consequences, and that was... The truth, if you remember, we talked about the essence of being, being foolish. Foolishness is trying to decouple the consequences from your choices. When you're in the midst of being turned on, son, this is how he's talking to him, he says, you don't want to think about the consequences. You're not going to want to when you're in the middle. You won't want to think about tomorrow, but he's saying you have to. Because choices have consequences and the consequences is like being stabbed in the liver it's like getting hit in your place of vitality it'll cost you verse 24 says and now o sons listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth let not your heart turn aside to her ways do not stray into her paths for many a victim she has laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng." Her house is the way to Sheol going down to the chambers of death. He's saying, the thing is, son, a lot of people fall for this. Don't fall for it. We've talked about the problem. We've talked about the sales pitch. So let's talk about the passion or the path. And so we get back. We're going to go back a couple uh, chapters to chapter 5, verse 7. And read it with me. It says, now, sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words from my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others, and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. So he says, this path, son, it will cost you more than you want to pay. Let me give you a picture of what's at the end of the line, to see all the way to the end of this road. If you start down this path, look at where it leads, because In the moment somebody's calling you down the path, they won't tell you about the end of the path. They'll just tell you about the luxuries. You know, you'll be smelling the scents. They won't show you that they're leading you into the slaughterhouse. And so we can apply this in a couple different areas. Now, obviously, a lot of it here is talking about adultery, which is prevalent in our culture. Some statistics... Put it at 24% of marriages. That's one out of every four partners committing adultery. That's pretty scary to think about. It's pretty damaging to think about. And that'll cost you. It's interesting. We talked about a few weeks ago, Chris Rock, he had his latest comedy special on Netflix. And actually, it's, it's not all that funny. I mean, um, he talks about the disillusion of his marriage as kind of the main talking point. And as he talks about it, he says, I got to a point where I started to believe in my own entitlement. He said, I would would think things like, I'm Chris Rock, so I'm above the rules, and the laws don't apply to me, and I get to do this, I've worked hard, I've been successful, so I'm going to get access to these groupies, and the fill is mine. And he's saying, I started to believe that, and I believed in the enticement, and he said, as I started to live that party rock lifestyle, I lost my wife. And he entitled the series Tambourine because he makes a joke in the beginning about, you know, how the old bands where the person would play the tambourine, he's actually a player in the band. He's got, he's, he's got his spot on the stage and he's up there. And he was like, you're just a backup guy when you play the tambourine. So, you know, you've got to kind of make a performance of it, right? And if you, you're backing up with the tambourine, you just don't play it like this. You're like put your hip into it and it's a whole show, right? Like you get into it. And then he, he builds this whole metaphor, And he says, that's marriage. Marriage is about celebrating the person that's at the front of the stage, putting their needs before your own. You know, you're playing the tambourine while they'll wail that solo, right? And he said, I should have done that. He said, I should have done that for my wife and I didn't. And then he said something really interesting. He says, you know what got me? You know what got me? I wanted the stranger. I wanted the exotic I wanted the other. But when I went down that road, what happened was my wife became the stranger. And she became the thing that I could no longer get, and I traded the better for the worse. And it was fascinating, and I'm I'm, I'm grateful for his vulnerability for all of us to say, you know, hey, don't go down that path that I've chosen. Now is his life doomed? No. Is there redemption? There's redemption for all of us, amen? There's no shame in the house today. All of us come in with unclean hands, but God has a message of hope for us, and yet he's warning us here. There's a path that's gonna lead to life, but adultery, that's a dangerous path. Now, I think the other place that the voice of sensuality is speaking very loud at every street corner is through pornography. Forbes magazine in January 2018 was talking about how porn websites are putting statistics out on the volume of users. And so one of the biggest sites put out its numbers, and Forbes did an article on it. The author notes that just one porn site, the biggest one, averages 81 million visitors a day. 81 million unique visitors a day. 28.5 billion visitors a year, with 24.7 billion searches performed. Now, if you wonder what that means, break it down a little bit, that means 50,000 searches a minute, 800 per second. And 595,000 hours of videos are uploaded per year. So that's 24,811 days of watching. Every five minutes, this one site, this one site transmits more data than the entire contents of the New York Public Library, which houses around 50 million books and research items. There's enough data transferred daily by this one website to fill the memory of every iPhone currently in use around the world. That's where we're at today. Mark Regnerus, who does some really rigorous studies of young people and sex, has written a book on premarital sex in America, and his latest one is called Cheap Sex. And he doesn't really have a dog in this fight. He's just trying to study the culture that we're in. And so he quotes um, a study of 18 to 23 year olds and he found out that 86% of young men reported interacting with porn at least once a month. 31% of women. So it's nowhere near the same, but that's still a significant number. Those are high percentages. And let me say this, the modern mantra of the porn industry is that this doesn't hurt anybody, right? The way of sexuality, this way of sexuality, they say there's no victims and that there's nobody hurt by that. But what's interesting is studies scientifically are showing us that that's really not the case. Cambridge did a study in 2014 where they studied how pornography triggers the brain in sex addicts and it says it's the exact same way that drugs trigger a drug addict. That it's built to be habitual and addicting. Other articles have said that it's actually impacting the economic level, referencing the number of people that are looking at porn instead of working. Um, This kind of activity divides marriages. The the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers reports that 56% of divorce cases involve one party having having an obsessive interest in porn. Now, what's interesting is eight years ago, pornography played almost no role of divorce in the country, but it's become more and more readily available, right? So just think about it, just in eight years, The dramatic difference, it's affecting the way that we relate to each other. It disrupts courtship. Mark Regner's book, he talks about that prolonged exposure to pornography leads young people to assume that sexual exclusivity is even unrealistic and to hold cynical attitudes about love and affection and marriage. It's like like the cultural thing. It's like all they know. And so here's the thing. You know, you don't even have to look at it. Many of us are just kind of in the wake of it. Fashion choices are being shaped by the porn industry and we stand in the wake of that. It's affecting the way that we treat each other and the way that we think. You know, is it even possible to have a fulfilling monogamous relationship? That's a question that hangs in the air. Many people think, oh, that's not realistic. It's not possible. That's an idea that's been trained over time through this kind of cynical view of sex. And so the reality is, is that it's damaged the dating pool. I'll talk about more about that in a second. The last damage that I'll talk about is I think maybe even the saddest one, is that it destroys sex. That for many people, prolonged exposure to sensuality online um, or, or sensuality in this, in this way outside of, of covenant destroys sex. It destroys it. It's interesting. Aziz Ansari has a book about dating, and in his book, he wanted to kind of um, contemplate where we are in the world of dating today, and he went to two very different cultures. He went to Japan, and he went to Buenos Aires, and he said in Japan... Something like 40% of young people indicate no interest in sex. Marriage rates have dropped so low that the government's now subsidizing dating to a degree because it's becoming a national concern. And he was trying to figure out what's going on with that. And what's happening is there's this decoupling of sex from intimacy. And so it's a very common thing, maybe you've heard about this, for men to go to a cuddling bar or a cuddling cafe where you can go and pay someone to hug you and make eye contact. There's sex with robots, and there's there's also a real destigmatizing of prostitution. And so there's no incentive to being in a loving relationship with a man or woman. And so they're seeing marriage rates just kind of fall flat. On the other side, in Buenos Aires, he said sex is very common. There's a lot of sex. It's very common for people to have multiple sexual partners. And he said the interesting thing is, though, as they researched it, it was very common to see women crying on the street corner. And when you would ask them why, they would say it's because of man. It's because of casual sex, this atmosphere. It's hurting me. We're not made to keep saying I'll give you my body but not my heart. It's a disintegrating of us rather than integrity. And so it was interesting for him. This is what he said. To be very candid, I thought a very sexually liberated culture would be life-enhancing, he said. But what I ran into, there was a lot of sadness. But what was fascinating for me is he looks at these two different cultures, and in both of them, what he found was loneliness. He found sadness. He found what we see in our culture a lot today. We have a loneliness epidemic in America. There's a loneliness because sexuality in our culture is constantly being pulled away from emotional intimacy. And so what I find for so many people is we want the emotional intimacy. We want all of it. And God made it that way because he loves us. You see that? He made it that way. So what do we do? Let me say a couple of things. Let's end with the proper response. I think the proper response, number one, is to surround yourself with wise voices. Do you see the theme that seems to be reoccurring here with that every single week? Surround yourself with wise voices. That's what the dad keeps on saying over and over. Be attentive to wisdom. Incline your ear to understanding. Get yourself around people that will speak good choices to you. Surround yourself with wisdom, wise counselors, and also others that can support you when you make those wise decisions. It's fascinating for a lot of times if we don't feel good about our sexuality, what do we do? We let shame put up a wall around us and we isolate ourselves. And so for me, what I'm committed to for us is saying, hey, you know what? I don't want a wall of shame because God doesn't want one. Amen? And so let's get to the place where we can talk openly about this is why I struggle. This is not working for me. And this is what's gone wrong with me. And we do that, it's, and when we do that, it's out in the light and we find healing, that we find life. It's interesting. Patrick Carnes, one of the latest leading voices on sexual addiction, says that sexual addiction is actually an intimacy disorder. Often people move to sexual addictions because it's not just the fascination with sex, but a deep wounding with intimacy. And emotionally, what they need is healthy relationships around them. That's why getting in a circle, getting face-to-face with people in the body is so important because what happens sitting in a group with guys and the one guy finally gets up the courage to say, man, I am struggling with pornography and I don't like the way it's making me feel about myself or feel about women. I don't like what it's doing in my life. And what happens is time and time again, you hear, you see that happen and you'll get a chorus, you'll get a chorus of guys saying, me too, me too. And we're like, really? That's so odd because, you know, that's what the stats say, but for some reason I thought it was just me. And and you're not. And it's okay to say I struggle and I need help. And it's a liberating thing to have a group of people do that. Get into a place where you can have the safety of getting wise voices around you. People that care for you and people that love you. One of the best things for me is to know I have, you know, some men in my life who love me and won't judge me and won't condemn me but support me. And so for many of you, we live in a culture where it's work, 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 right? To the point where I'm exhausted. And weariness and temptation often leads to failure. And so for many of us, we kind of springboard between these two things. We don't feel happy about our emotional life. And the solution to that is healthy relationships, Healthy friendships. It's interesting. I've had a lot of interaction with young adult interns and, and you know ministry volunteers over the years, and I've heard the question posed to young men and women that are living for God and you know active in, in, in their relationship with God and in the church. How can you be single and not be in an active sexual relationship? And you know, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've heard the conversation go before many times. You know, I absolutely want that. I, I want to get married. But what I found is as I immerse myself in healthy relationships with, with couples, you know, with singles, with kids, or maybe volunteering in the nursery or children's ministry or youth, and I get involved in a church with people all around me, all walks of life, I find some deep emotional needs that are met that a lot of people my age are trying to meet romantically. And I'm finding that in my faith community. I'm finding that in community. And so get around you know, people who care about you, and if we can be there for you, we want to be there as a church. We want that. Listen, it's okay to not be okay here, but we love you too much to let you stay there. We're going to walk through it with you with love, okay? And, and so get around wise voices. Number two, resist first impulses. He says, son, do not even go near the door of her house. <laughs> Sun sensuality is like the ball, it's rolling down the hill, it's at the top of the hill, and it's easier to stop it at the top. But if you're mid hill and you're like, all right, and I'm gonna, I wanna change gears now, it's probably not the best place to make that decision. You've gotta be wise from this thing from the beginning, from the get go, from the start, and so resist first impulses. And I know for me, it's been a healthy habit for myself and other people I know, where are the places that I'm tempted? Let me avoid those places. So for me, you know, I had to realize, like a lot of guys, computers late at night, when I'm alone, when I'm tired, is not really a wise place. And so I counsel young men that have their phone next to their bed that are struggling with pornography. Romans says, make no provision for the flesh, right? This is like, you know, going near the door of our house, as Proverbs says. You know, Having the worldwide Web right by your head as your most vulnerable time of day maybe isn't the best choice. But it's my alarm clock well go and buy an alarm clock man (laughs) you don't need to use your phone you're like an alcoholic who's pouring a glass of scotch every night putting on your bedside and saying i'm not going to drink you you tasty little morsel and you put them down right next to your bed don't do it don't do it i heard of people who literally they say you know what there's parts of town that I can't drive to anymore. It's too triggering for me. Maybe it's the liquor store that you used to go into and for you it was part of this ritual and you have to decide I can't go to that store anymore. Now, as the descendant go to the store? No, but maybe for you that's the ball at the top of the hill and you can't do that without certain disaster. You just can't do it. It's going back to the hotel room with the free premium channels when you're on the work trip. And maybe, for some of us, it's better not to turn the TV on, but to put the remote in the drawer and just forget about it. For some of us, to turn that TV on, that would be what the Proverbs, book of Proverbs calls being a fool, <laughs> right? If I'm on the road to wisdom and I want to walk right, I need to resist the first impulses. So to second that, resist the first impulses, and then second, introduce better things. So for me, I'll try to bring some reading material along uh, with me when I'm on road trips, You know, maybe crack open Chronicles of Narnia late at night that can be helpful for me because I'm not really attracted to, you know, little mice and tigers, you know. So, (laughs) do you get the idea? It's just a way to think about something else. The Puritans used to say, how do you dislodge a beautiful thing from the human heart? You replace it with a more beautiful thing. And so I don't need to be there and be like, don't do this, don't do this. I just sit there and I'm going to replace it with something else. And if that means it's story time every night, I'm okay with that. And I can read about little Reepercheep and go to bed dreaming about being just like him. (laughs) Last thing I would say is this. He says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. I love that. He's talking about, son, your sexual impulses are good. But there are places to take them that aren't going to be best for you. They're going to be disintegrating for you. So what you want to do, son, is you want to get a healthy community. You want to meet somebody that you love their mind, you love their heart, you love the way they think, and you care about how they feel. And then before God, before community, before your friends, you say, I choose you. And she's going to say, I choose you. And then in that safety, you know what the dad says? He says, you go crazy. You have fun. I am not making this up. Proverbs says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice. He says, have fun, son. And so the Bible's not trying to hold anything back from you here. Wisdom's just trying to give you the best scenario. Can I, can I get an amen? man? <laughs> I don't know what to say after that. <laughs> Derek, you can come up if you're here. I don't know where you're at. but um, So we'll, we'll have the youth pastor give some wisdom uh, to close, right? <laughs> so let me close with this. Before you drink from the well of sexual fulfillment, you need to drink from the well of spiritual fulfillment. Now, I'm going to jump out of the book of Proverbs just for this last section. John chapter 4. Jesus is at the well with a woman that, he had, that had a broken relational and sexual past, Right? And when he sat there with her, he did not shame her. He didn't wag his finger because that's not what Jesus does. He said, and he would say it to you today, he said, I can give you water that would make you never thirst again. And she said, are you talking about this well? Because have you gotten water from this well before, (laughs) right? And he says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have one. He said, I know, You've, you've had five. And now you're living with a guy that you're not married to. And she tries to pivot to a safer conversation she's like let's talk about theology and politics what do you think about what the prophets say and jesus he's like let's not let's talk about your life let's i'm talking to you about you and what he says to her is not shame on you and here's five happy hops to a good sex life and a marriage what he says and he would say it to us here this morning he would say it to you is i'll give you water that wouldn't just satisfy your thirst, but it would be a fountain welling up inside of you. I'll give you a source that never runs dry. It's beautiful. Jesus says he's going to give her fullness of life regardless. And what he's telling her is, sweet daughter, you've been looking to these men to fulfill something that only I can fulfill. Get a relationship with God right before you get a relationship with a guy or girl right. Would you stand with me? Can I say that again? Get a relationship with God right before you get a relationship, before you even get concerned about getting a relationship with a guy or girl right. And then what's going to happen when you enter into that relationship, you'll be a fountain instead of a drain. You'll be a fountain. May that fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth because that's what he wants to do. So come to me first and let me heal your soul. And I love it because he doesn't shame her at all. In fact, what he did is he liberated her. He liberated her to the point that the town that she'd been too embarrassed to go to she had been coming out to this well to get this water alone she marches into triumphantly and she says y'all gotta meet this guy he told me about everything all about my past you know which a few minutes ago might have sounded like a scary proposition to her but now it sounds like liberty it sounds like freedom he knew everything that I ever did and he loved me anyway. He knew all about it. He even knew husband number three and he was a crazy one, let me tell you. But he knew all about it and he offered me life and he offered me the grace. He offered me love. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's who he is. So wherever you are in this house today, I just want you to know whether you agree with the book of Proverbs or me, or, you know, anything about that, I want you to know that the heavens smile on you today, that God loves you more than you know today, and that he wants what's best for you, and we do too. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for fullness of joy. God, we thank you for the gift of intimacy through relationship that you've given to us. Help us walk in wisdom. Help us to walk in covenant relationship with those that you've (laughs) destined for us to be with, God. Lord, you've created sex and you called it good. But you put boundaries around it for our safety. It can also be a very dangerous and scary thing. It can break people apart. It can be like an ox being led to the slaughter. God, help us to walk the path of wisdom. that we may rejoice in everything that you've given to us. God. Lord, I pray just like Jesus was at the well that there would and he's speaking to the woman that there would be no shame today for what's happened in the past. God, that you give us a source that is never ending, a fountain that never runs dry. Where we've been trying to fulfill it in our own ways and we thought, thought we knew best God, yours is a well that will never, ever run dry. God, I pray for those types of relationships in this house. God, I pray for strong, protected, intimate, full of joy relationships in this house. And maybe you're here this morning. You've been hearing the conversation and you're at a place where even we were talking about earlier, where you're a place where I feel like my past is broken. I feel like I am in a place of shame. I Just being honest, that's where I feel like I'm at. And if that's you this morning, I want to make an invitation to you to come to know Jesus. Or maybe come back to know Jesus. To resurrender again. To come to the place, to the person who will never fail you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever can give you fullness of life in every area of your life, who comes to our rescue. Now that is stirring in your heart this morning. You came, you know, that Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning with nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to raise your hand. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I wanna pray with you this morning. Would you guys pray this prayer with me? Father God, I give you my heart. I give you all of me. The best of me. The worst of me. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying for me. For my rescue from sin. Into a life of fullness. Better than I can think of. Or even imagine. My life is surrendered to yours. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Now listen. Now listen, even if you didn't raise your hand this morning, uh, you know, there's nothing magical about raising a hand. There's nothing even magical about, you know, speaking words out loud. But this is a real person who loves you and has given his life for you. And if you pray that prayer this morning, I want to encourage you to step into a community that loves Jesus, whether it's here or someplace else, that loves Jesus, loves his word. Get around wise people. Walk with the wise to become wise, right? We have an opportunity in a few weeks at the end here if you want to get water baptized, what Jesus says is the next step after salvation to make a public proclamation of, yes, I'm I'm yours, Jesus. That's happening here in a few weeks. Get around people. Get in some connect groups. Get in a circle. Get face-to-face with people. They're going to help you walk in wisdom, amen? Amen. Father God, we thank you for it in your mighty name. Amen and amen.